1: The Michael
3: Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.
4: LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmacross Credit Union O'Neill Street or Cartmacrosscu.ie.
5: Wednesday morning, the 8th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, the CCPC, has issued legally binding guidelines to some 600 private nursing homes on drawing up contracts of care. An investigation by the CCPC has found that some homes are using confusing and unfair terminology which ends up in residents paying top-up fees. Earlier this year, Sinn Féin TD, Imelda Munster, told the doll that nursing home patients who have medical cards are sometimes being charged for medical products and services, despite the law which says uh, that things like wound dressings, physiotherapy, occupational therapy or speech and language should be available to them free of charge. Let's talk about this with Imelda Munster and also with Ty Daly, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Nursing Homes Ireland good morning to both of you and thanks for joining us Imelda Monster. first of all uh, remind us what you were talking about when you said that people were being asked for top-up fees how much does that equate to
2: right Mike when I initially raised it first there were people families of residents in private nursing homes had been coming into my constituency office and <clears throat> they were very distressed about charges, top-up charges that their family member in the nursing home were being charged, and this, these were things items that they would have been perfectly entitled to, given that they had a medical card items such as wound dressings or bed sore creams, even prescription painkillers. And one family was actually issued with a bill of almost two and a half thousand euros over a period of 15 months for drugs, medicine and bandages, and it's absolutely scandalous. And they were, they were being pursued um, by, by contractors mm. engaged by the private nursing homes for these outstanding debts with monthly hard-hitting invoices and letters. So it was a very very, very distressing for the family, and I raised the issue because if you have a medical card, regardless of whether you're living at home or in a private nursing home, you are entitled to the exact same services and benefits of that medical card. And at no stage should you be charged mm -hmm. extra on
5: top of it. Unless you sign up to a a contract uh, and uh, agree to being charged for something that you are entitled to free of charge. And this seems to have been the response that was given to you. The Tawnishta responded to you in uh, the doll, and you were talking about the law in relation to this, which I think is the Nursing Homes Act 1990. Uh, Mm. But the Tawnishta said it's a contractual issue.
2: He said it was a contractual and management issue for the nursing homes concerned, you know, and he said he wasn't aware of it, But he, which I found quite shocking. How could you not be aware of it? Because it's widespread right across the state. And that's where we need... I mean, when the, the Commission um, Consumer Watchdog stepped in now, and that's... It's welcome as a start, but it's only a start because the guidelines... Guidelines are primarily, you know, something that... Um, they're not legally mm. binding as such. If you like, they're 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 an example of uh, what what way we would like you to behave. You know what I mean. They're not a statutory instrument. They're not primary legislation. And for that reason, this is why this has been happening. You know, there's nothing. There's nothing to stop them. I mean, for example... No, but the
5: the, the guidelines are legally binding and the contracts will have to be clear, will they not? Uh, uh, And the fact will remain that uh, whilst you are entitled to these medical card services free of charge if you're a medical card holder, if you sign up to a a contract uh, giving up that right, well, then you will pay for them uh, if that is uh, the conditions that you're signing up to. But But the problem is... You will understand that you're doing that now under these guidelines.
2: Yes, but... uh, Irrespective of that, right, irrespective yeah. of that, those contracts are signed by people who are frail and vulnerable or by their families who are under pressure to secure a place. And what the, 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 commission, the Consumer Protection Watchdog has said, that um, they're, not, they're not in simple language, that mm. they're very confusing and people don't understand what they're signing up to. But, but the basic, if you come back to the basic thing, if you are in receipt of a medical card, you cannot be charged on top of that, for items that you are perfectly entitled to under your medical card. It's a, it looks like this is a big business that's going mm-hmm. on charging people for, and people are well, afraid, and families are afraid. Uh, 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 l- let's
5: so ask much. Ty Daly that. Is, is that correct that you cannot be charged uh, for something that should be covered by the medical card? Uh, mm-hmm.
6: Yeah, good, good morning, Michael, good morning, and uh, yeah, thank, yeah. thank you for the opportunity. There's, there's a number of, of uh, I suppose, issues that I, I'd mm. like to, to, to draw your attention to. First of all, the, the nursery home sector is arguably the most highly regulated across the entire health service.
5: Okay, but, I'll get well, plenty well, of time for that, but just so if you could uh, answer that question, is it possible?
6: Yes, it is. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Hickway, in their own report in, in 2015, outlined uh, the, the issue of access to therapies and, and services in the sector. And what they said was, and I quote, therefore the options in these circumstances are that the resident pays privately or the provider pays. Otherwise, the resident does not receive the service. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm on the record myself, and indeed in, in the Public Accounts Committee, which, which Deputy Munster would be aware of, uh, just in, in the uh, September of last year, the uh, Assistant National Director of the HSE, outlined that in effect that while they may uh, retain entitlement that the people in the community are given a higher priority Uh, so what you have is a whole range of services which um, uh, should be entitled to people whether they're in their own home whether they're in a public home or a private home or in the community, uh, are being denied to older people. And this has been highlighted mm-hmm. by the ombudsman a number of years ago, uh, and by ourselves on a continuous basis. In fact, as an organisation, uh, we were in, in, the, in the High Court in 2009 on the commencement of the, of the nursing Home Support Scheme. So we agree with, with Deputy mm-hmm. Munster uh, that, that, but in, in effect... And, uh, I, I suppose, people, who are living,
5: I suppose people, sorry to cut across you, I suppose, uh, I mean, you could also make the argument that people living in their own home, who are living in the community, I think you should put it, uh, are, are available of these services through private health insurance?
6: Uh, Some may be, and indeed Mm. some may be. I mean, uh, the deputy made the point there that, you know, a lot of these are third-party charges. So uh, it's not the nursing home charging per se, uh, because if a chiropodist or a physiotherapist or a speech and language therapist uh, comes to provide service to a resident in a nursing home, then it's a third-party charge Mm. in in essence. But €2,500
5: over 15 months is incredible, isn't it? Uh, no, no, it's not really. For, for, I mean, for what should have been it, free or for what people oh, thought was going to be free.
6: Well, I I mean, I I think there's two issues here. One is that, uh, you know, the scarcity of of, uh, primary care services across the system is well-flagged, and uh, that has a huge impact on on older people, whether, as I say, in their own home or in a nursing home. But let's be clear, from a nursing home's Ireland point of view, and indeed from our members' point of view, members, uh, you know, sit down with families, assist them at the fair deal application, and they do engage openly to ensure that, that, that residents fully understand and they make an informed decision, because what that does is it ensures that there's a... You know, avoiding any unnecessary uncertainty or dispute.
5: Well, the CCPC because, you know, it, seems to be saying quite the opposite to that.
6: Uh, not, not so. What they're saying is that they they have reviewed, I think, a sample mm-hmm. of, of contracts, um, and that they said in their own language that there may. Uh, be some terms which are unfair, and indeed there may. And if there are, if there's learning there for ourselves in nursing homes Ireland, or indeed for the HSE, who are also a provider of services, they might add. Uh, mm. Then obviously that would have to be taken on
5: board. Well, let's just go uh, back to Meldal Munster is, on that point. When you talked sorry, about, Michael,
6: I think it's an unfair representation to suggest that uh, that charges are being levied on people without either aid they knowing, uh, because in essence mm. they do know it, and secondly, it's for provision of, of, of services that they require.
5: All right, Melden Munster, when you told us uh, about one family having pay two and a half thousand euro over 15 months did they realize that was going to be the case when they signed the contract
2: not in the slightest not in the slightest why not said at the start because the, the the family member that's in the private nursing home has a full medical card and just um mr daly had said there about services you know physiotherapy or occupational therapy this bill that the family were being was put to the family was for drugs, medicine and bandages. Not for other, not for additional services. Drugs, medicine and bandages that that patient was perfectly entitled to under the medical
5: card. So there's and no justification for that. That's, that's your argument. Absolutely let tig- no let, no let justification. Tig- delhi come back on that. Okay, Ty tig- Delhi.
6: I mean, I'm not going to comment on any individual case, but let's be clear about a couple I'm of matters. One, one is in re- Sorry. One is in relation to medicines. For example, there's a prescription charge uh, which is levied by the state, and that's levied by legislation. So that, that the obviously is a third
2: charge. That's obviously- on top of the statutory charge. Sorry,
6: Michael. Can I can I finish? Mm-hmm. Or I mean, if I'm money. going to be keeping interrupted, then obviously it's not much point. We agree with the deputy. That's that's where I think uh, she's quite um, mistaken in the point. the The issue here is that the, the nursing home support scheme that was established uh, ten years ago um, is is in our view unfit for a purpose from the point of view of the resident, because it says quite clearly that there's a whole range of goods and services that one would ordinarily expect in their own home or in their own community that are specifically excluded under the scheme. Um, and, you know, any of those charges uh, are laid out. And if they aren't laid out, then I would be the first to say then that individual nursing home, whether it's uh, an NHI member or whether it's indeed a HSE nursing home, uh, people have right to complain. Uh, under, the, under the legislation and indeed they also have the right to take issues to the ombudsman and the ombudsman dealt, the ombudsman dealt with six cases in, 20, in 2017 there's 30,000 older people one is one too many absolutely okay. but there are there are mechanisms there I think it's, it, it is a misrepresentation to suggest uh, that, uh, that there's wholesale uh, mistakes here well, on part of the well, sector
5: well, well let's hear what's being said because uh, you've uh, spoken now uninterrupted and Mel de Munster you were saying that this was on top of the prescription charges that are was on cal- for drugs, yes. medicines Everybody and Everybody knows that
2: they have to yeah. pay the statutory mm. charges, mm. That's, that's, that goes without saying. This is on top of the statutory charges and these were for items that this person was perfectly entitled to under their medical card and it's going on in a massive amount of nursing homes. Okay. And when families raise this, they're told quite bluntly, if you don't like our services, you can go elsewhere. That's the reception they're getting. And bear in mind that families are leaving their loved one in that nursing home. So they're afraid. They're afraid to rock the boat because their loved one is dependent on care up there. And there's mm. a scarcity of of nursing homes. You know, so they're they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Okay. What's going on is scandalous and there's no excuse for anybody being let, a good let, let,
5: let Because mm-hmm. There is an
2: option. No, sorry, Mike, if I just because he didn't there is an option. For example, he said yesterday that there were certain types of wound management that weren't covered. They are covered if that nursing home applies under the hardship scheme. So no patient, no patient with a full medical card should be charged those charges. And no family should be pursued by contractors' engagement by private nursing homes to pay these debts.
5: Do you accept that, Tanya in, Daly? Well, the, the,
2: the, no. portrayal,
6: the portrayal by the deputy is completely unfair and misrepresentative. If she has an individual example, then I'm happy to listen to that. Obviously, and indeed, the, the, the resident or the family in question have the opportunity to raise it a complaint, or indeed raise it to the Ombudsman. But I can tell you that our members, on a daily basis, and the staff in our nursing homes, are very proud of the care they provide. Right across, right across. Are there issues on an ongoing basis? Absolutely. But our members deal openly and transparently with all families. With all oh, residents yeah. to, a, to, a, to address any issues, um, you know. The, the, as I said at the outset, the sector is arguably the most highly regulated uh, of, 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 of any health service across the country. And indeed, HICWA in their most recent um, uh, overview report highlighted the significant improvements that have been made over the last while. So, uh, you know, th- th- of course, there may be issues, and I fully accept that. Um, well, these I think are just some of the issues. Well, these are just some of the
5: issues that have been raised by the CCPC uh, about how contracts are. are are reached with, uh, I suppose, predominantly the families of the residents, but with the residents, essentially, vulnerable people, and that one of the concerns that they have is how the contracts can be changed by the nursing home uh, without agreement,
6: Well, in in our uh, case, for example, we we provide a template contract for our own members, uh, and it's quite clearly laid out in that contract uh, that adequate notice has to be provided to the family if there are changes. I mean, a person's condition uh, may change, so they may may require additional uh, services or additional care over the period of their stay in a nursing home. Um, So it is appropriate, because what the nursing home has to do is meet that person's Mm. individual individual care needs. Uh, But all of these are done by agreement, not to suggest that somehow uh, people are being forced to sign contracts I think it is a misrepresentation. Well,
5: the complaint or the concern that the CCPC has and is trying to address through these guidelines is that it's not clear to people when they're signing the contracts under very stressful situations. Uh, They're also suggesting, Imelda Munster, uh, that there's unfair restrictions on visiting rights uh, for family members, uh, there's uh, charging of excessive interest on fees, uh, there's catch-all clauses on terminating the contract, transferring financial obligations to others, and changes to contracts. Uh, so, uh, whilst Ty Daly might be right in suggesting that this is uh, referring to a small number of cases uh, and that the majority of people have great care, whenever this happens, uh, it is obviously uh, of great concern, is it not?
2: Of course, it is, and the contracts. What the consumer watchdog, um, from my opinion, were were saying that the contracts were balanced in favour of the nursing home, and not, you know, that they were unfair. That people that weren't um, easy to understand for people um, that signing up, you know, under under pressure to secure a place in the first place. But just one thing, Tiag had said there. He was saying about care given and he was saying about you know transparency and openness when this review was being carried out by the consumer watchdog it was supposed to be based on a a sample of 10 percent of the nursing homes but only a third responded and some of them actually told the commission that they were unwilling to provide information now you're the representative that me also. Why do they? Why did they refuse? What, were they cho- what Why were they unwilling to provide information? If, as you say, okay. it's all transparent and and cl- you know clarified. I think it's important to point out that is responsibility.
5: responsibility. T- they, they were, they
2: were unwilling respond. for a reason. Okay, what was daddy. that reason?
6: Uh, I, I would suggest that it's probably the HSE homes who didn't uh, comply no, no, with No, providing. no, 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 no. No, absolutely. The, uh, let's be clear, Deputy and, and, and your listeners. This is all nursing homes. It's not private nursing homes. Oh, I know that, yeah. yeah but it's private, private nursing
5: homes. So, no, no, I mean, allow, allow them to talk, about it please. All <laughs>
6: right. It's important to point out that are 580 nursing homes right across the country, uh, public, private, and voluntary. Um, we, as an organisation, met with the CCPC. We provided a submission to the CCPC. So we have absolutely, as an organisation, uh, nothing uh, to hide whatsoever. Uh, and our members have nothing to hide whatsoever. The contracts in many of our members' cases are up on their websites. Um, so to suggest that, the, that there, there's something underhand going on, uh, as I say, is a complete misrepresentation of the sector. Okay. If matters the can be,
2: issues that if, if, have been brought if, to my attention... Yeah are ones from patients in private nursing homes where they're being charged for goods and products that are perfectly...
5: OK, but uh, as he says, the, charge, I, I, concur, I, concur, mm-hmm. I concur with, with, with
6: that, Deputy, um, because what's what happening here is that the, the HSE have a statutory responsibility to provide service to people, no matter where they reside. Um, and in fact, they're failing in that statutory responsibility by not providing...
5: I have to leave it there because I've run over time, uh, but thank you both thank uh, you indeed uh, for your time. This morning, Tig Daly, Chief Executive Officer of Nursing Homes Ireland, and Imelda Munster, who's a Sinn Féin TD in Louth.
4: Michael, Michael Reed, Reed
5: on LMFM. Well, it's back to business in Leinster House uh, today with uh, some of uh, the issues uh, that have uh, been raised over the last couple of uh, weeks during the break, no doubt being raised uh, when uh, the politicians uh, resume uh, the business. So Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, is on the line. Good morning to you and uh, thanks for joining us. Undoubtedly, the rollout of uh, the national broadband plan is going to dominate, though.
1: Absolutely, especially today, now as the doll returns and they all get back up to Leinster House for the first time in what seems like many a very long Easter break for these politicians of course they've all been out canvassing and all been very very busy they assure us all the time <laughs> um, but the national broadband plan yes it's going to be the big one today and I think people are this morning still getting to grips in terms of what it actually means for them they see the 3 billion euro price tag but you know what it actually means most homes I think 90% of homes they say connected over the next 7 years and uh, the full lot then in 10 years time what it means for people living in, mm. in rural Ireland but then there's also the political side of this and this is what's going to dominate in Leinster House I think there are concerns about the cost of it. Some opposition parties in vain saying yesterday they were kind of like look we're not happy with it but it has to go ahead. They all accept rural a broadband has to happen and it's incredibly important and you know no doubt with local elections looming in two weeks time that's also sitting in the back of their heads. But yesterday was very interesting at the launch and the announcement from a political point of view in that Minister Pascal Donoghue having rowed with his cabinet colleagues over whether this should go ahead, having taken advice from people in his department saying that they don't believe its value for money, he had to get up and endorse it and defend it. And he did not look happy as he did so. He was not confident mm. in his speech. He said, you know, it was littered with phrases like, on balance, I think it's the right thing to do. The cascade of good things coming down uh, outweighs the other concerns. But he is going to publish the correspondence between his Department of Public Expenditure and other stakeholders of the Department of Communications and other people uh, as to their concerns and what went on. And that's pretty unprecedented. Mm. You usually see all of this go under with and Key, and some of it trickles out over the years through FOI. But Minister Donoghue says he's actually going to release it himself to make sure that his side of the story, I suppose, is heard and the concerns that they have within public expenditure are put out there on the record. And it'll
5: outline why the officials believe it's not value for money, although the Minister is endorsing it on the basis uh, that it's the best of the worst options.
1: It, the best of the worst is nearly the best way of putting it, mm. yeah, which it doesn't exactly inspire a huge amount of confidence in, you in the plan going forward. But also it may give us more of a clue as to why the minister ultimately overruled his officials because it's wide open goal to say that this was a political decision two weeks out from hmm. local elections. There's, you know, there's now 1.1 million people set to benefit from this, and suddenly the government looks great, we're spending again. And we're looking after rural Ireland that has been long forgotten.
5: Well, I I, I take it that that's the gamble. Uh, I wonder if it is paying off because with a a couple of weeks to go to the elections, I'm not sure if it's a, a good news or a bad news story for the government.
1: Yeah, I suppose it depends on where you live largely, doesn't it? Mm. If, you, if you see that broadband is now coming down the line and you might be able to now work from home or expand your business or whatever in certain areas, you'll probably say, yeah, it's good news and it's worth the payment. If you're living in somewhere like Dublin City Centre where the broadband is always good, you're probably looking at it going $3 billion. That's an entire waste of money. So, what do they need that for? They can use it on their phones and, you know, t- t- completely removed from it. But it's kind of a bit 50 50. Even some people living in rural Ireland think that fiber is the wrong way to go, that perhaps 5G should be used, that maybe by going through the ESB they would have saved money and it's kind of more proof of uh, of spending gone wild. I mean, we've heard the figure of 500 million, which was the initial estimate for this project. Now, admittedly, that was a very different project to the one that we have on the table now and is now costing 3 billion euro. But that coming on the back of the National Children's Hospital, where there was a Man. massive overrun in spending on the back of other concerns about spending that goes completely against the, you know, Finnegan's stance of this party of prudence and uh, in public spending, people will start to wonder, well, are these guys actually the right people to hold the purse strings now that Ireland is starting to recover and the economy is, is seemingly on the up?
5: Okay, and all in the context of uh, the upcoming uh, elections, undoubtedly we'll hear a lot more about that later in the day. What else will there be today? I take it that we might hear something about nursing home fiends, Uh, we might hear something about rehab uh, and I would be surprised if we don't hear something about uh, the mortuary in Waterford.
1: Yeah, I think the mortuary in Waterford definitely has not gone away. It was a massive own goal by the Taoiseach last week when he was on his, his tour around the country stopping in Waterford and Cork and Limerick and Westmead as well, and really it's something that has massively annoyed people, particularly in the, in the south-east of the country. We need to see now in relation to the pathologist um, pulling out of there and having their own concerns about the mortuary itself. Uh, you look at Waterford Hospital, even some of the MEP candidates were kind of like, geez, will we even bother canvassing down here? You would have to feel because half of that hospital is now mobile. It's not, we, we've got the mobile cath lab they have there, and the mobile mortuary that's coming in uh, to see things fit. But it's not the only health issue. Health I felt from the start that health is going to become the dominating issue in some areas for the local and European elections. Now we're seeing a few different ones play out, the likes of climate change, housing in Dublin and some of the other cities is a, a huge one that is really coming up on the doors and other issues that are trickling in. But everywhere has something local, be it you know, the children's hospital has affected them, be it the Waterford Mortuary, be it some nursing home services that weren't provided. And, and now seeing this with rehab as well and how they're Dealing with the HSE or not dealing with the HSE is going to cast more questions on that. So a huge amount. But we're actually not going to hear from the Taoiseach today or tomorrow because he's on the road. He's visiting the uh, Prime Minister of the Netherlands today to talk about Brexit. And then tomorrow there's an informal meeting of EU leaders. So Brexit may well come back on the agenda in the coming days. And there's the talks going on up in the north in relation Mm -hmm. to Stormont. The Tornish was at them Yesterday, he said that they started pretty much as well as they could have. I think every week we're going to see a meeting of the leaders. And for now, it's going into kind of background talks and officials to try and re-establish the Stormont executive. So there's a lot of issues floating around Mm. with, of course, the specter of those elections looming in two weeks' time. And it will be interesting to see whether one in particular kind of crystallises as something between Fall or Sinn Féin or whoever really tries to go with the government in the next two weeks to make the issue of this election and really stick it to the government, I suppose.
5: All right. Busy day ahead. Thank you for joining us in advance. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent. Now it's Wednesday morning, which of course means uh, that the local newspapers are available to you and to us. Anne-Marie Kearns is in studio with uh, the papers and uh, you'll start uh, this week with the Meath Chronicle. What's on the front page of uh, the big paper, Meath?
7: That's right Michael, because it's not good news, unfortunately for anybody who likes to enjoy and Lakes, Michael, in the Royal County. I was only there for the first time myself last year and it's absolutely gorgeous place to visit can't believe the news on the Chronicle today that spiralling insurance costs are forcing the owner of Rathbegin Lakes to close up what has become one of Mead's most popular family and tourist attractions. At the end of August, Gavin Beckton, the paper's editor, writes that this will be the last season for Rathbegin Lakes in its current guise, as the owner Dave Robinson warns that other businesses offering leisure activities in the Boyne Valley region and beyond are facing the same threat. Insurance problems, Michael Mm-hmm. and going up all the time. Meanwhile, a very interesting story on page 12 about a major plan for the Meads Gaeltuk in Rathcarn to support and strengthen the use of the language in the area.
5: Okay, very good. Uh, We'll go to Drogheda. The Drogheda Independent uh, looking forward uh, to the FLA.
7: Yes, two separate stories really made the front page of the paper. The Drogheda Independent depicting the two phases of the town, I suppose. The first one is that good news story you Mm. referred to about the FLA. The organisers are expecting the numbers this August to surpass last year's figure when some 500,000 people invaded the town they're now anticipating Michael that it could hit the 600,000 mark which really would be something else of course the other face of the town is the violence that has been going on and the end of violence is the other story on the front page of the Drogheda Independent from Saturday's peaceful demonstration with the powerful words Drogheda Unites to send a clear message to the criminals get your guns, bombs and drugs and get out of town
5: All right, echoes of that story in Drogheda in Dundalk, the front page of the Argus
7: that's right. Tackle the drugs gangs now. That's the headline of the Argus amid fears that Do- Dundalk is next for a terrifying drugs war unless the resources are put in place to prevent the same type of conflict that has gripped Drogheda for the past number of months. Councillor w- Rory or Muraku is warning that gangs operating in Dundalk are just as lethal as those terrorising communities in Drogheda.
5: And we stay in Dundalk. It's another crime story that makes for front page is. news. Uh, this yes. time it's the Dundalk That's
7: right, and it makes for grim reading, really. It's that story that we covered on the show yesterday about the man having his arm set on fire during a burglary at his home. Uh, moving from that to page five is looking at the recent homeless figures for Louth as 156 were reported as homeless in March.
5: All right, well, there are some of uh, the stories making the local papers, the front pages uh, this week. Thanks for that, Marie. And uh, people might want to make comment on those stories uh, because uh, you'll be back with us around half ten because indeed. of the debates. We'll be speaking with candidates in Navin just after the headlines. Uh, but you'll be back with comments on those stories uh, or if somebody wants to comment on something Else they've been hearing, or if there's an issue that people would like to raise with us, as always, our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
4: Michael, Michael Reed on
5: LMFM On the 24th of May you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on a divorce in the European elections in this constituency there's 17 candidates overall and in between now and polling day we hope to speak to each of the candidates and we will today talk to Maria Walsh who's the Fine Gael candidate for this constituency, the Midlands North West constituency in the vote for the European Parliament. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Perhaps
8: uh, good morning, Michael. Thanks very much for having me on.
5: Well, perhaps uh, you'd uh, begin by telling us uh, why uh, you would like to be an MEP.
8: Uh, well, for me, you know, at 31, I moved back from Ireland right after the end of my road year. Uh, I, I grew up here. I I've run a business in the last five years here. And, um, you know, I saw a disconnect in the case of Uh, what happens in the European Parliament and what uh, perhaps my generation, indeed, what rural Ireland can benefit from the European Parliament. Uh, And over the last number of weeks and months, I've just been uh, traveling around the length and breadth of the constituency, 13 counties, um, building on the rapport that the West of Ireland needs a stronger voice uh, now more than ever. Someone who who grew up here, who was educated here, who runs a business here, who understands uh, the impact life here can have, on someone and that the fact that it is a great work-life balance for anybody here. Um, but for me, um, I'm really enjoying it. It's, uh, I'm not, I'm not new to, or I'm new to party politics. I'm not new mm-hmm. to people or community development. So I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the last number of, uh, weeks and months and we only have, I believe, about 16, 17 days left to make sure people are getting out and voting on May 24th. That's most important that, um, people, uh, utilize their voice, uh, make their vote count and uh, hopefully send four strong voices to the European Parliament.
5: And do you believe that there's a a disconnect between the European Parliament and people of your generation? Indeed, people in the west of the country because of old fogies who are taking seats there, uh, currently uh, uh, from the eastern half of the country, the likes of Mairead McGuinness.
8: Oh, I definitely wouldn't say old folkies. Mairead McGuinness has, uh, as our first vice president, has more energy than any any thirty-one-year-old. So I wouldn't say that. Do you think that uh, there's a? Do,
5: the, do you think there's a second Finnegal seat?
8: I do. I do think. I very much do think. You know, when we set out the the, the plan with the party, um, and indeed with our first vice president, it was a case of we we were passionate, we were vocal, and we were uh, working towards that second seat. Um, I do. And, and, and answering your earlier question there, it's a case of, do I think there's a disconnect with my generation? I do. Uh, I went to a Women for Election event last June in Dublin. Uh, and for me, that was like the deciding point of, right, I'm putting my hand up and I'm I'm really going for this. I'm advocating for my community. Uh, I think there's an awful lot that happens in the European Parliament for Ireland and has done since 1973 when we joined. Uh, and not just Erasmus programmes. Uh, you know, not with the Invest EU, with the new cap reform, with younger generations coming into farms, uh, with women in farms, with women in small businesses like I have here in the west of Ireland, um, and I and I think we need to utilise that more. And I think uh, we also need to realise that it's a two-way street. We are giving a lot, we're also receiving a lot, uh, and and there's more to do, and, and that's why I'm putting my hand up. But I think there's definitely a second seat. I know there is, uh, but it's it's making sure uh, the two of us are working hand in hand, and we're getting action. Um, getting, getting that vote. And for me, I guess my expectation of myself is mm. um, obviously to, to bring the Fine Gael vote along with me in terms of the West and Northwest, but also make sure post the, the last two referendums, younger people coming in, moving back to Ireland too, that they're utilising their voice and I'm connecting with that. Uh, so it's not just the Fine Gael traditional vote that we have, we also have new generations that have been inspired post the last two referendums and we want to make sure they're coming along with us.
5: Uh, And if elected, uh, you'd uh, concentrate uh, to some degree on making 2022 European year for mental health.
8: Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, talking about mental health. Perhaps I am. Uh, For me, I'm a Jigsaw ambassador. So it's a youth organisation that works with young people from 12 to 25. And it's all around preventative care Um, and making sure younger people feel supported as they're going through the ups and downs that we all go through. Uh, but I, 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 look at community grassroots programs, uh, and they're not as funded, uh, as much as we, we need them to be, um, given the amount of, of mental health positivity issues that we have throughout the, the country, not just the constituency. This is also a talking point throughout Europe. So, um, I, I believe Ireland and myself can be the leader in making sure the European Year of Good Mental Health happens. And, uh, looking at the, the European Year model, um, uh, Marion Harkin, champion forward in volunteerism in 2011 we'd be doing a similar model and making sure funding comes back to grassroots programs
5: uh, nearly 60 percent of people surveyed in a, a red sea poll was com- which was commissioned by the european movement ireland group said uh, they believed ireland should play a more significant role in eu defense and uh, security cooperation uh, is that something that you'd agree with
8: Um, I agree. I think uh, Ireland, we're a neutral state. Um, I know with PESCO, I'm a a trooper in the Reserve Defence Mm Forces, kind of based. Um, We're we're doing our utmost in terms of uh, making sure we're learning and we have our our, uh, men and female soldiers out uh, learning as much as they can. I do think there's opportunity to probably learn more, um, but that's off large nations. Our neutrality, and I'm really conscious because I know other opposition members keep throwing this line about the EU army, we're, we live in a triple lock system here in Ireland, thank God. Um, therefore, it goes back to the people if we want to change our neutrality uh, conversation. And I think when we talk about EU army, uh, PESCO, there's a little bit of a disconnect in terms of what does PESCO actually mean? It allows our uh, our Irish defence forces to further educate on things they're already learning on and get more experience. But it doesn't mean our neutrality is going to be changing anytime soon, unless the people decide it in a referendum.
5: Well, I don't know. I think that can be debated, can't it? Uh, I mean, uh, when you talk about opposition TDs, uh, I'm sure you don't mean Sean Barrett, for example, the former Count Corley, indeed a former Minister for Defence, who spoke uh, to the Dáil recently, uh, very critical of government attempting to join the big boys on European defence projects in a creepy, crawly, step-by-step way. He said he didn't understand why uh, we seem to be moving towards a European army.
8: Um, I don't think we're moving, like I said, we're not moving towards the European army, uh, from, from, from what I'm learning and from what I'm asking and from what I'm hearing. Um again, it comes back to the mm. triple lock. You have to ask the people, the people decide, which I'm so grateful we're one of probably the only standing nations that people decide, uh, if we're, if we're going to change anything like we have done with marriage equality, the repeal the eight, and indeed, uh, if we are to come out of a neutrality state. For me, as a reserve mm. defense force, uh, trooper, um, you know, I constantly learn more and more and more. And our, our men and female soldiers deserve to do that too. It's, uh, PESCO is an opportunity. We're looking at maritime surveillance. Uh, we're looking at cybersecurity. You know, no, the technology is changing so fast. And yeah, we're also,
5: we've also agreed to, to search for explosive devices in contested environments.
8: Uh, well, I, well, I mean, where Ireland people are the champion for, for peacekeeping uh, nations, and I think that's, if, I, I would much prefer if our soldiers had uh, experience and education in that than, than going out into peacekeeping. Um, mm. I, again, I, I'm really conscious that we are not changing from a neutrality state, and we will remain that uh, going forward unless the people decide to change that otherwise.
5: Okay, well, I don't know if a contested environment is a, a war zone, but I'm not sure that you'd call yourself a neutral neutral country going into a war zone.
8: Um, again, peacekeeping is the heart the volunteerism and peacekeeping in, in particular with our defence force is the, the life and soul of, of, of what we've done and what we have done in the past and what we will be doing in the future. I mean I think uh PESCO offers opportunity for again our soldiers, I keep reiterating, our soldiers to learn more, to educate learn uh, educate more and and look at other nations and how they're doing things. Uh there's an opt in, opt out option for PESCO uh projects. Um, they can be uh, contributors and they can be people who, who are on the sidelines watching. I, 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 and I, I'm really conscious that perhaps our PECO projects may grow, uh, but that depends on, on the force in terms of where they feel they're best fitted and where they feel their their soldiers need to learn more from. Um, but for, for me, again, I'm really conscious that people listening here, uh, I, I don't want to go down the route of scaremongering. We will not be moving from our neutrality state. Uh,
5: do you believe in a, a more united Europe?
8: I believe in a, a Europe that uh, needs to work now more than ever together. Uh, larger member states, smaller member states like ourselves, who've been in for many years, making sure uh, we're balanced, that our uh, manifesto from FESH, when we joined, was peace, prosperity uh, and opportunity. And yeah, I think I think we need to move in a united front, but not in an army sense. So uh, I want a, a, oh, yeah. for a jobs, opportunity and a fair European Union, yes. Uh, but not from a Defence Force.
5: A European budget, a European finance minister?
8: Um, I think, you know, I mean, look at cap reform. Uh, It hasn't been decided upon. We go back into uh, whoever the four, uh, hopefully myself will be included, the four voices that are going to be represented in Midlands North West come after May 24th. Um, All of us four will have to go and argue the fact that cap reform now more than ever, give it Brexit, give it uh, the constituency we live in for for Midlands North West need need to ensure that as much funding is coming in, that goes even back to the European Year of Good Mental Health, making sure funding is there through InvestEU, through uh, European years, through CAP reform, uh, through Horizon 2040, of as much funding as we can is coming into our constituency, uh, because we need to develop. I mean, for me, I've been very much focusing on the West and Northwest. Mm. My running mate, first vice president has been focusing, focusing on the East and making sure um, the most isolated areas are well represented in the European Parliament and with funding. you know, I, 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 we, we need to grow, we need to prosper, we need to deliver opportunity.
5: Okay, well, hopefully we'll speak to you before polling day again, but thank you for joining us uh, this morning. No,
8: not at all, and thanks very much for, for having us on. I appreciate it.
5: Thank you indeed. Maria Walsh is uh, one of uh, the Fine Gael candidates uh, who's contesting uh, the four seats uh, available in this constituency to the European Parliament, to the Midlands and Northwest constituency.
4: Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. FM.
5: On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws, while independents and others are being chosen to participate through draws. Laws. Today, we'll hear from four candidates in the Navan electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the seven available seats. After the break, we'll debate the issues with Sinead Burke of Sinn Féin, Amy McGrath of the Social Democrats, Eamur Tobin of AIN2 and Alan Laws, who's an independent candidate.
4: Michael Reid, Reid on
5: LMFM. Now, as I said, uh, we've four candidates in uh, the Navin electoral area with us uh, this morning. Sinead Burke, who's uh, the only sitting councillor, is with us uh, together with uh, three candidates. Amy McGraw, who represents uh, the Social Democrats. Imre Tobin, an uh, AIN2 candidate, and Annan Laws, who's an independent candidate. Uh, good morning to all of you and thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, Imre Tobin, first of all, uh, your uh, first-time candidate and uh, you represent a new party in ain 2 Why have you decided to put your name forward? And indeed, uh, why ain't 2 uh, for anybody who's not familiar with your brother?
3: Um, the reason I put myself forward is because I see... Well, Navin's my, my hometown. I've lived here most of my life. There's a lot of problems in Navin. Um, I've been out canvassing probably since January. I've talked to hundreds and hundreds of people and the same issues are coming up at the door. These, these issues have been on the go for the last few years. There seems to be no change whatsoever. There's absolutely no improvement. If anything, things are worse. As we all know, development is massive across, Na- uh, across Nav across Meath. There's more and more houses. There's more people moving to Meath. And the pressure on our resources mm-hmm. incre- is increasing. And uh, as I said, the population has mushroomed over the last 20 years, but it has not been matched by investment whatsoever. So people are now at the end of, the head of their head. It's hard to keep head above head above water. And people are now saying, right, there has to be a change. The existent uh, political incumbents, they are not listening to the people. They are not fixing the problems. The problems are getting worse. We need the housing problem, the homelessness, all the waiting lists. They are not getting mm. better. They're not even staying the same. They're, they're getting worse.
5: Sinn Féin, very well represented on Maid County Council. Uh, I, am I right in assuming uh, that you're from Sinn Féin stock and like Padder, uh, you've become disillusioned?
3: Pather is from Sinn Féin stock. I would have always supported Pather in his efforts to bring about great change in, in our hometown mm. because like myself, he, he he well he's actually more aware of, of the problems but um I suppose we feel that unless we really work hard at talking to people on the doorstep Trying to know what it is they, they need and relaying this as he does on a daily basis to our government, things are not going to change. Mm-hmm.
5: And you don't feel that that's being achieved by Sinn Fein? Because you spoke about the incumbents, which.
3: Well, I'm not here, here to speak everybody. about Sinn Fein at all. I suppose, I'm t- well, I suppose mm. Sinn Fein is an opposition, mm. and, and, and I'm sure they're trying to do what they're trying to do, mm. but our incumbents are not achieving much. As I said, our our issues are not even staying the same, they're they're getting worse. Okay. So. That spells something. Somebody is not mm. doing their job properly. And we are, have set up a new party since January. There is a serious appetite mm. for change. Pather has met hundreds and thousands of people over the last six or seven months and people are saying we need new politicians in this country because the ones that are there are not representing us at all.
5: Okay, no specific uh, criticism of Sinn Féin there. You're just being thrown in with the rest aid. So we'll come back to you in a moment and give you a chance uh, to respond if you wish to uh, at all to that. Uh, But let me talk uh, to the other first-time candidate who's Amy McGrath. Uh, Why have you decided to put yourself forward and why the Social Democrats?
12: I decided to put myself forward because I think now is the time to be brave and now is the time to step forward. I think in Ireland and in Mead and in the world, we are um, at a crossroads in terms of the challenges we face for the future. I was proud to step forward for the Social Democrats because I feel that there have been social changes taking place in Ireland over the last few years with the referenda that have taken place um, for, yes, equality, for marriage equality. I am very um, happy to see those changes taking place in Irish society and I think we need to push forward progressive change. I think people deserve it. Mm. I think uh, the Social Democrats is a party that is at the forefront of those progressive changes in Irish society. I would also agree with Emer that there is a lot of work to be done in terms of people's quality of life. I and my husband, we're both teachers. We're a hardworking family. We get up every day at six and commute into Dublin to work. And there are many families in our position in Navan, And I don't feel that we are given the quality of life that we deserve. Mm. So I think that's very important. And that is why I decided to step forward. And would you have
5: identified previously with the Labour Party?
12: I would have identified, I, I think, you know, we do have a lot in common. The Social Democrats, I find quite exciting in terms of their policies, what they're doing. I think we're a very young party. Mm. We're only three years old. Um, today, we well, got... There's a
5: lot of common ground. And I, I mean, I suppose the party came about to a large degree because of Roisin Shortall's disagreement with Labour when in government.
12: Well, I I mean, I think the birth of the party has produced something different. Hmm. And I I think that our our policies are unique. I think um, today, for example, that we have the launch of the 26 weeks unpaid leave for parents, which is very important um, in terms of, quality of life for parents for families that was something that we pushed forward the social democrats we would like hopefully in future to see more paid leave if that's possible if we can push that forward as well but we really want to work we're passionate about working for families for parents for the quality of life of people in ireland and in mead and i think we have differentiated ourselves we have a unique voice
5: okay alan laws uh you're not an elected councillor, but it's not the first time uh, you've decided to stand in an election. Why are you deciding to run again?
10: Well, Michael, I got involved in politics back in 2008 when the crash came about and when a lot of people experienced the severe austerity that was introduced by the the, the government then. Um, And that has continued. And I look at my own family, my own children and my own grandchildren and I'm thinking of them and I'm still involved now because I look at the next generation Michael and it's my father used to always tell me how hard it was when he was a kid growing up. I think this is the first generation that my kids are going to have it harder than me. And so I feel I have to do something for my own children and for my community and for the people that's living out there, the struggling families. I mean, when you look at the, the, the rents that people are paying mm. for ordinary three-bedroom houses and Navanders, one beside me in Johnstown that recently went up for 1500 a month, Michael, I mean, the rents are becoming unaffordable, the buying a house is becoming unaffordable. You're looking at young professionals like teachers, like guards. My own daughter was a field scientist and she's 28 and she's a really good job and she couldn't afford to live out. So the next generation are facing a more difficult problem than we ever had. So I feel it can make a difference. I'm trying to do it through my community work with uh, the Johnstown Toyody Towns, through my voluntary work with the Johnstown People's Park. And what has actually educated me in the last few years is working with the homeless and working with the inner city uh, and helping the homeless. I was on the streets last night in Dublin Mm. and we came across a 15-year-old child who was homeless. And um, there's more and more people. Since this government has been in power in 2016, there's a 66% increase in homelessness. Now, if, if a government would claim there was a 66% I- increase in mm-hmm. prosperity, mm-hmm. they'd be running and they'd be getting elected for the next 20 years. But we mm-hmm. have a government that's increased homelessness by 66%. Now, that has to be rectified, and I can feel it can make a difference to people in the own community and that.
5: All right, and uh, we'll continue to talk about homelessness and the housing crisis. Uh, I think it's an issue that's of interest to all of you uh, in a a moment. Uh, But let's uh, talk to Sinead Burke, uh, because uh, you're the only one of the four candidates with us this morning who holds office. You're a sitting councillor. Would you like to advise all of the other candidates here maybe to rethink and to do something a little bit more sensible.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Too late now. Their name is on the ballot, I'm afraid. (laughs) Um, I I was actually, just as you say that, I was struck by the difference in the studio this morning to five years ago, Michael, no. when I sat here. And um, it certainly etched in my mind at the time because I was terrified walking in. And there was established parties. There was Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael sitting around the table. And the dynamic around the table here this morning is very, very different. And I think it's actually great, to be honest with you. I know Ain't who was possibly mm-hmm. born out of a dynamic that I wouldn't have liked to have seen happen mm. to ourselves in Pather. However, I'm delighted that Eam was running because competition keeps us sharp. To be honest, and new ideas mm-hmm. can, should always be welcomed. And do you politics. mean that
5: that's because of the new parties or because of uh, the political climate? Because the climate has changed. I think a lot it's. As a, well.
0: I think it's. I think the two are, close, are are linked. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because the political climate certainly you notice on the doors people are more articulate mm-hmm. when it comes to their political thinking. A lot of them younger people are voicing opinions and are really informed that they weren't five or ten years ago. Our vocabulary has changed. We're using different terms. We're way more informed. Mm. Um, and as well as that, it's not lost on me as well that there's three women sitting around this table and I'm the only female um councillor in Navan. So, please God, if I am yeah. re-elected, I'd love to have another woman sitting at there, the
5: table. There, there is a group think to some degree as well, isn't there? An, a consensus of opinion and quite often people singing off the same hymn sheet uh, and that could leave people feeling somewhat cynical in that it makes no difference who you vote for. They'll all do the same because everybody uh, believes that we should be tackling housing and health problems and all of these things.
0: Yeah, Look, there is a danger of that mm. and certainly I've come across it on the doors and I'm sure my colleagues mm. here this morning have come across it on the doors. There's, there's two things people can say on the door to you that nearly kills the conversation stone dead. And the first one is, you are all the same. Mm. And then the second one is, will I never vote? And what I would say is, every candidate and then every councillor that I know is in it for the right reasons. Mm. You know, I mean, we're all individual people. We all had various numbers of kids to get ready and out the door before we got here this morning. We're all going back to various different jobs. You know, there's none of us robots.
5: Mm. Um, If there's one issue that you've concentrated on, and correct me if I'm wrong, (coughs) but my perception would be that you've concentrated on housing over the last five years uh, and you've been very active and vocal in in respect of that. Uh, But then we have candidates coming along and saying, well... Uh, It's failed for some reason, whether that's because of government policy or because you've failed in in addressing that policy.
0: Well, I don't think I've failed. I think I've done as much as I possibly can. And you have to be very realistic as to what a councillor can and cannot do. However, I was a year into the job, Michael, and I realised, you know what? I can't do this part-time, I cannot do this piecemeal. So I ended up giving up my full-time day job um, to concentrate better. And I'm not looking for any medals or anything, it just wasn't sitting well with me. I thought I could do better and focus more and spend more time with constituents if I did full-time in the office instead. So I have done my level best. However, we have huge problems and, and everybody around the table, I think we're all in agreement that we... The people of Meath are being failed. <coughs> Excuse me. The people of Ireland are being failed with housing. I mean, if you think about it, in County Meath alone, we've spent twenty-four million on HAP. I mean, just, just to let that figure sink mm. in, that's incredible. We have more houses being supplied to people on the housing list by so uh, associated housing bodies, basically housing charities, right? So you, the likes of Cluid and Thua and Respond. There's more of those houses um, being used by the council to take people off the housing list than actually direct bills by the council. Mm-hmm. Now, there's something seriously yes, wrong Yes, but we, there. we
3: know about all these problems and we know the being rate sure, of change yeah. is extremely mm-hmm. slow. Mm-hmm. But I suppose, you know, at, at, at local level, this is not going to change hugely. Yeah. It's at national level we're looking for the parties that are in opposition to do a far bigger job at letting the government know that their policies are not working. You know, there seems to be this complacency between opposition parties and, and sitting parties. I mean, it is, it is incredible. Fine Gael, propped up by Fianna Fáil, eight years Fine Gael are on the go and there has been no difference. It has only got worse. So if a party is in opposition, it should be going through Fine Gael for a shortcut and saying this is no longer acceptable like, we, as you say, we're we all, all running because but we fin- care. But
5: Fine come in here and said the same thing. And uh, I think maybe what's been demonstrated is the lack of power that councillors have.
3: Yes, but the, it is up to the councillors to feed it to their local TDs. And the TDs do, when they're in the, in the door, and they're all engaged in their debate. When have we seen massively robust debate mm. about the housing issue? <laughs> what have <if> we not? <laughs> we, but it, it, it doesn't mm. come up with any... Like, why isn't there better formulation? policy formulation. Mm. I mean, these people are on s- serious money. They have got the best of advisors. Why haven't they come up with a better solution? Well, the rate mm. of change we'll is, is snail pace. There are people that can no longer continue to live the way that they are mm. living.
10: Michael, the, the we, we
5: read a vote of confidence in the minister uh, not so long ago and uh, exactly, debates on an But that vote basis, of confidence shows exactly
3: how it is. Our, our, our political system is not working. How can our political parties who are in opposition continue to to allow these ministers to stay in their jobs when they are not doing their jobs how does that michael happen Well,
5: because they believe they are doing their jobs they're not they yeah, want to okay. stay
3: in power michael you well, and i know that of course they do
5: but of course but but there's but different their, opinions about to find a solution
3: overrides their desire to look after the people of Ireland and that is the bottom line
5: I'm not sure I understand what that means. The
3: desire for our political Mm. parties to stay in power is more important than their desire to really help the people of Ireland. I don't think that's right. Because if that wasn't the case, we would not be... The housing problem wouldn't be... Um, reaching, reaching new heights every single month hmm. and then there's people who are homeless who are not even captured in those there's figures a, there, so it's far bigger no, than there, we actually There's a do. huge
5: difference between incompetence if, if you want to look on it that way that Well failure to do your job
3: is, is a form of incompetence.
5: Well yes but, the, but if you're saying they're incompetent that's one thing and that's that's fine because that would be your opinion but to say that they're intentionally failing people because power their own self gain is more important to them is simply wrong.
3: it. it I wish I could agree with you there, Michael. I absolutely believe there is a, 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 a sizable number of RTDs mm. who wish to stay in power more uh, than they every, wish to help I, I the Irish. I, I think every
5: one of them were in the position you're in now and started off uh, with the best intentions of yes, but bringing things about
3: change. and but things change, and, and, mm. and for the mm. worse, obviously, because look at the state of this country.
5: Okay, Ellen Laws, you wanted to come Just in Just to there. come in
10: there, it's the people who have the power, and the people have the power in this local election to tell the government to send them an extremely strong message to tell the government and the people that's propped them up which is Fianna fall, to give them a very very strong message about what they've been doing you've only to look at the health service my own uh, aunt who was 89 years of age spent four days on a trolley in an ace hospital in the A&E and she had two broken vertebrae on her back and she would cancer and she was left lying on a trolley for four days. Now that experience is all over this country. So the people that's on wait lists and hospitals are the ones who have a chance to vote now. So they have the ones to send a, a message to this government, the people that's paying high rents now, that can't afford to rent or buy a home, they have the opportunity in this local election to send a very, very strong message to this government. And if mm-hmm. they do, Michael, if for example, what I'd like to see is Sinead mm-hmm. being re-elected, I'd like to see Amy be being re-elected and an email here being re-elected because we are alternative voices to what's in power now and if we were to get re-elected at the local elections I would hope that in itself while you say what power have councillors got the people in the election have the power to show this government that they're totally dissatisfied okay, with I'd please. just
12: like to, to say um, talking about housing I think I think you're absolutely right I think we can send a message to the government. I think the council elections are extremely important. I think there's a mental health crisis going on in Ireland at the moment. And I think the housing um, situation has a huge amount to deal with that. I have met a woman recently who was two weeks away from having to leave her home with small children because the landlord was moving back in. That actually happened to me and my husband a couple of years ago as well. We had two months' notice and then we had to leave. One of the one of the biggest issues with renting, it's not just the sky high rents you have to pay, it's also the the continuous insecurity where you don't know how long you're gonna be able to stay there, where you're always conscious you're living in somebody else's house. And there are people now in Mead who are I'm nearly 40, who are my age, who are older, who are in that situation, who desperately mm. want that security. And there are children who are going into school who are feeling that. So, insecurity. what do you do,
5: Amy? Uh, as Sinead Burke said, 24 million spent in the last year on half payments. Uh, so, what do you do? I mean, that's a, a lot of money, as has already been highlighted, uh, but there aren't the houses to buy. You can't build them quick enough. There isn't the land apart from anything else. So, what do you do to solve the problem well, there when, when, when the demand. When, in, in,
12: in, well, in Meath,
5: when the demand exceeds be. the supply, yes, well, perhaps well, there are, I but think, have to be brought back into use. I think we use. need to
12: look at price, obviously, and I'm delighted that Navin's a rent pressure zone now. It's, it's good, but rents are already so high that it, it's almost ridiculous, but I think we need to look at, at security of, of tenure for for tenants. I think, you know, the, the key thing about social housing is that you can stay there and you can remain and you can raise your family feeling safe and happy and that's what people who are in private rental don't have and we desperately mm. need to be able to give our people security of mm. tenure and we need to look at ways that we can do and that. And we do
5: fail people in that respect. People who are already Uh, renting through HAP uh, or or in other circumstances uh, where things change uh, and suddenly uh, they're in a homeless situation why is that the case?
0: it's desperate and you know what that's the number one reason at the moment in County Meath Hmm. for families in particular um, falling into homelessness and maybe the landlord like the case that Amy said the landlord has to move in or perhaps the banks have moved in on it as well Hmm. Um, look at basically but quite
5: often I mean there are rules and regulations and this doesn't happen overnight and people are given long terms of notice as you were saying two months in one case sometimes it's even longer than that Uh, but it's at the very last minute that accommodation is found for somebody if at all
0: yeah. And and, and look, it, it's the, the supply isn't there. You know, I mean, people that are renting and are on HAP, which ideally would actually be safe and secure in a council property, or there would be enough of a rental market there that they might be able to move. You know, they would be confident that they would be able to find somewhere else to rent. What What this basically comes down to is government funding. And, and that's it, and all about it, and all roads lead back to that. It's I not was
3: just a funding but, issue, but though. but it is Emar. There should be more joint of thinking across all the parties in meals, because I, as I mentioned, there's about four thousand unoccupied houses across Mead. Now, obviously, they need money to get them hmm. up to scratch, but twenty-four million on HAP, which is dead money, nothing to show for it leading nowhere and there's four thousand properties that if a fraction of that was put in, how many families would we put in? Okay. So we're, we're we're putting all this money to make people dependent and achieving nothing.
0: Okay, but if I could just finish my point, because it does come back to funding, because funding affects everything. If you're talking about the thousand, the four thousand houses that are avail that are empty in Navan, in Meath, okay. So first of all, if some of them are council stock, we need the money to do them up. Mm-hmm. If they're not, then you're looking at dealing with the owners of those, identifying them. What money needs to be spent on bringing them up and purchasing them. So then, not only do you need the money to pay for the purchase and doing up of buildings, you also have yeah. the money to employ the council staff to identify and work on those purchases
5: as well. And they well, simply you know? not be available. Yeah, and,
3: and the, all the I'm thing is, it's not just money, it's yeah. money and better policy formulate, formulation. Moir, Mo- for money, money, money is not just going to solve every problem. If yeah. you're, yeah.
10: you're looking no, for something yeah. to do yeah. in the interim, the, the housing assistance payments, which is happening. Yeah is usually a two-year contract. Now, if you have small children and you you rent your house beside your local school, and in them two years, you could be asked to move again. You've no security of tenor. So you're asking, what could be done in the interim? We could lengthen the period of HAP. We could lengthen the period of HAP to five to ten years. So at least, okay, if you're a renter, You have some security, you're you're renting your Mm. house near to the local school, your child is gone, and you have five to ten years to relax a little. You take away the stress that Amy was talking Mm. about. The one thing I disagree with Amy, I don't welcome the rent pressure zone to an extent, because what that does, you ask any worker that's listening to your show this morning... People don't understand what the rent pressure zone means. It means that landlords is being given a rise of 4% every year for the next three years. That's 12% of a rise well, for three years. That. Now, yeah. if you're a worker uh, listening to this show this morning, Michael... I don't know many mm. workers who are guaranteed a 12% rise well, in their wages over three that. years. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Yeah. so, yeah. therefore, in other words, yeah. renters are going to fall I, I, before they're behind but I, um, the difference between their wages and their I see
12: rent. what you're saying, but at the moment, you're only talking about 4%. I've seen landlords oh, increase rent Amy. by 25%. Freeze, but why
10: why
5: is it this way, Amy McGrath? Because uh, people rent their homes all over Europe. And they have security of tenure.
12: They do. And I have friends who rent in Amsterdam, in Paris, and they, they have that there. And I think it's something we need. Obviously, we need to increase our housing stock. And what Sinead was saying is very true. And that's not going to just happen overnight. But I think we need really need to look at landlords and how how we approach that. I think uh, tenants meet, need more rights. Yeah, um, definitely. I, I think... It's yeah, the legislation hasn't been put into place. No, it secure, hasn't.
3: And that's, again, back to our
5: politicians. OK. Yeah. Listen, our time has actually run out in us, uh, so we're going to wrap up. Uh, but I'll, I'll ask you all, it went very quickly, didn't it? Uh, particularly quick debate today. Uh, but I'll ask you all uh, to just make a, a very brief closing statement uh, and uh, maybe suggest to people why they should vote for you. First of all, Sinead Burke of Sinn Féin.
0: Um, I'm asking people to vote for me. If they think that I've been doing a good job so far in the last five years, um, I intend to keep working really hard. I think it's important to be honest with people, to always get back to them, um, and to be a really honest broker and a good conduit between the people that come into me and the council and the state agencies. And I'm passionate about housing, I'm passionate about the disability sector, and I would really like to see me, and particularly Navin, getting its fair share of funding. We're about 11 million short. Every every year in Navan, in comparison to other towns around the country, that's the that's the shortfall in government
12: funding okay. if you compare it to others, and we could do a lot with that money.
5: Okay, thanks for that, Amy McGraw of uh, the Social Democrats.
12: Yes, well, I would just ask people to vote for me because I'm passionate about where I live. I'm passionate about a fair deal for Irish people. I feel I'm very representative of a lot of. A lot of the people, ordinary working people who are just trying to pay the bills. And I just want to see everyone get a fair deal where they live and hopefully not just a fair deal, but a really decent quality of life that we all deserve.
5: OK, thanks. Eimer Tobin
12: um, I'm a
3: Navan native and I really love my town. I know where a lot of the problems in the town are. And obviously, uh, some of these problems are not going to be solved overnight, but with um, a lot of the different parties working together, enough, a lot more can be achieved than has been achieved to date. Um, I love helping constituents. I love pushing for their entitlements, helping them get what they deserve. There's a great sense of satisfaction when you, when you get a medical card over the line or you help people access a, a disability um, pension. We know what the problems are. We need a rail link to Dublin. We need t- to get far more housing for, for the people in Meath. As I say, our population has gone through the roof in the last 20 years. We need to get, increase home help for the elderly. And we need to get a lot more guards out on the streets in Avon.
5: OK, thank you. Uh, we'll finish up with independent candidate, Alan Laws.
10: Um, I would ask people to, to vote for me. Uh, I think what people need on the council, they need p- councillors that would they have faith in challenging the council. And we need to challenge the council a little more. And I think my track record has shown that I've challenged the council on the poor state of emergency accommodation in the past. I've also challenged the council when they granted planning permission for a five-storey block of apartments in their own area in Johnstown, which on Panala found to be substandard and went against their on Mead County Council's uh, building guidelines. So I think people need to have faith in their councillors that we work with the council for a better community, but we'll also challenge the council when they're getting it wrong.
5: Okay, listen, thanks to each of you for coming into us today. All of uh, the debates are on Facebook Live, and maybe you uh, nod to our Facebook Live camera as uh, we finish up. And thanks for coming into us uh, today. Sinead Burke of Sinn Fein, Amy McGraw of uh, the Social Democrats, Ain't Two candidate, Emer Tobin, and Independent candidate, Alan Laws.
4: Michael Michael Reed
5: Reed on on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you again, Marie.
7: Good morning again, Michael. Joanne phoned in. She was listening to the interview at the top of the show regarding nursing homes and charges. And she says she's delighted that this has been investigated. She says some homes charge for activities that some patients are not in a position to participate in wonders how this can be fair Uh, Debbie got in touch people are living longer Michael which means there are huge demands for nursing homes and it's important that they do not rip people off the chances are she says that most of us will need a nursing home Mm. in years to
5: come yeah, well, as she says, as we live longer, uh, more people will certainly uh, be uh, looking for places in nursing homes. Uh, clarity is uh, one of the big issues involved in all of this. And people are signing contracts without knowing what they're signing because the language is so confusing. So these guidelines will ensure that it's in plain language and black and white as such.
7: A text from Column. We on medical cards know what's going on and the way we are being treated by the government and the HSE. Thank God we have a politician like Imelda Munster to speak up and fight our corner for us.
5: On the other hand,
7: (laughs) Brian wants to know why we give more time to Sinn Féin on this programme than any other party.
5: Well, we, we, I don't think we do, do we?
7: No, and we did explain that often, mm. quite often, we invite other parties on but they may not be in a position to do so mm. in relation to other issues.
5: So. And, well, I mean, usually there's a, a reason. Sometimes it's because somebody else yes. hasn't been available and there is a substitute, if you like. Uh, but today, certainly uh, Melda Munster uh, was invited on because uh, she raised uh, this issue in the doll in February, specifically this issue that people were paying for services that should be free charge to medical card holders and despite them being medical card holders, they were uh, being charged uh, and uh, the Tónica, as we mentioned during the interview, said that that was a, a contractual management issue.
7: On broadband, Sean contacted us to say that he read today that some areas will still not have proper broadband until 2026. Is this true, and how can that be good enough if it is the case? Well, it's Sean. only
5: €3 billion. Euro.
7: <laughs> hmm. The €3 billion for rural broadband. Is this going to be through, paid for through our property tax? This will be the excuse to increase it, uh, says a listener. God knows how much it will cost each home.
5: Well, yeah, it'll be paid for somehow let's put it that way
7: Yes, we will be paying mm. for it somehow. Yep. Mm. Uh, on the local election coverage uh, and the debates over the past couple of days, a few comments. Uh, mm. Why are these dudes, that's a new word for election candidates, okay. not talking about Save Our Hospital? We need this hospital, but they're not talking about it. says Mary. No, I Lappin. think they
5: are. Maybe we haven't uh, got around to talking about it in uh, the debates and the programme, but I, I think all of the candidates are talking
7: about it. Matthew says um, he was listening to councillors debating yesterday says that P.O. Smith was going on about Narrow West Street and what needs to be done and yes it is an eyesore in our community but when I listen to candidates from parties that were in government or are in government you wonder why can't they do it now? Christy from Fianna Fáil phoned in and Christy says can you make it clear on your programme what parties nominated candidates and which didn't. I also want to know will all candidates get a chance to come on says Christy.
5: Well it's not possible uh, and uh, we're trying to be as succinct as possible. Uh, I suppose what we've done is we've agreed with the big political parties how we'd select candidates. Uh, Some of the parties have chosen to select the candidates for us others have asked us to do it and we're doing that uh, in those circumstances by holding draws ourselves and then that leaves the independents and others and we've held draws to select that's the right. candidates but and,
7: and in the case of fianna fall that's who he's specifically asking okay, about yeah, it yeah. has been draws that they've said to us to mm. where there's more than one candidate to to take their names out of it hat okay. and that's the way we've done it
5: mm-hmm. yep okay and that's as fair as possible uh it's uh probably not going to uh, be seen by everybody as ideal uh, and i'm sure that it's not ideal for anybody but there's only so many uh, days before the election and we could be here i think for maybe a couple of years if we were to try to speak to all of the candidates a lot
7: of candidates yeah, there michael really are, yeah. uh, we had a uh, contact from mary who got in touch after the debate yesterday, mm-hmm. says, after listening to all of your contestants and hopefully all the local politicians will work together, Michael, and not individually, and get the council back to Drogheda and look to get some of the guardi who were in Limerick to work with the new recruits from Templemore to help solve the problem in Drogheda and give us back our town. We have a wonderful historical town and we should be able to go out and about without fear of being caught up in fights. Uh, and hopefully the politicians will work together on this. Okay. Uh, Anthony, I'd love you to ask Michael Reid, why would anybody vote for anyone in the town of Drogheda when the elected councillors don't have any real say? It is all controlled by Dundalk. I certainly won't be voting, says Anthony, because apparently it's Dundalk that controls us. Okay. So there you go. Okay, well. Well, you, I don't know. I always say uh, go out and cast your vote. We we fought long and hard for it, Yeah,
5: Michael. and uh, blood was shed for it.
7: Absolutely. Uh, Pat from Navin says, ringing in about the local elections. I'm just wondering, Michael, coming up to election time, we always hear so many promises being made and he says, when you look at the last time, and this was the general election, Mm. he was saying about the new hospital being built and the railing for Navin and all that kind of thing and he wonders, should we be looking back at the promises that were made last time and see what people actually did?
5: Okay,
7: Mm. (laughs) That would take a bit of work, all right. (laughs) But thanks for that suggestion, Pat. Uh, We had contact from Jimmy from Navin and he was listening into our European election debates and he, or discussions or interviews, I should say, and he says, I'm just looking at the politics and I'm wondering, is there one pro-life candidate standing amongst them? That there's still a sizable number of people in Ireland who feel excluded and not sure who to vote for. OK. Well I know I know just off the top of my head I know we're going to have dad from, from Renew and he is pro-life I'm mm-hmm. sure there could be other ones I just can't okay. think off the top of my head All right. well, we So the keep, listening in. Yes, keep okay. listening in Yes keep listening in We also had contact from Raid from i and Raid saying I'm enjoying the local election debates but it's amazing Michael no matter what the area the same problems keep occurring yeah, Isn't I, it the truth? Yeah, yes
5: I think that is uh, the reality of uh, the situation uh, there's uh, some common. Denominators and crime certainly seems to be one of uh, the big issues uh, in every part of the country as well. Antisocial the moment. Yeah, behaviour. Yeah, yeah,
7: mm-hmm. Well, look, I'll finish on that one, Michael.
5: Okay, thanks for that, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958.
4: Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM.
5: There was a lot of concern yesterday when rehab said it would have to close its services due to a 2 million euro shortfall. The group has since met with the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, and will meet with the Minister again next week. It's hoped at that stage that a solution may be found to this problem. Let's talk about it though with Mary Moran, who's a former Labour Party Senator and uh, whose son avails of the services uh, that rehab provides. Good morning to you, Mary, and thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. How concerned were you morning, when Michael. you heard this news yesterday?
11: Yeah. Good morning, Michael. Um, I must say it was a huge shock um, to everybody. I think that, you know, and other parents that I spoke with, and you know, to suddenly get this. I actually got this uh, on my phone and uh, couldn't believe it when I when I you know when I saw it first. But uh, you know, speaking with others, it's. It's, potentially it would have a de- dev- it would be a devastating result um, and a devastating situation. And I hope that, um, you know, common sense will prevail and uh, over the next week that things will be sorted. I think it's awful even to bring, you know, to bring this to the door of people who use the services in rehab, to bring it to the door of staff, to bring it to the door of parents, to even hold this over them. And um, mm-hmm. this is something that should have been sorted out last year when, you know, because Rehab did flag it. They've been flagging it for years to the
5: HSE. Are you concerned though at uh, the method that Rehab used in being so dramatic about its statement, having to close up shop, withdraw its services uh, and the concern that you and others undoubtedly felt as a result uh, are you concerned that you were used as a a pawn to emotionally blackmail the government?
11: No, I I don't. I actually think that yeah, it would have been nice to you know to have been in the know. But I think that you know drastic drastic things cause for drastic measures, and I think that this is the only way that um, they were able to make the HSE and the government sit up, um, you know, and take notice because they have flagged it, They have flagged it for years, and I think the paltry sum of two million to them, two million euro. To the HSE is chicken feed, and um, you know, and it's something that could quite easily have been sorted out. I mean, you only have to go to the services to see the service that they provide, mm. and excellent, and it's per you know, all person centred, it's not like we're you know people go in and they fit into the service the service certainly fits in around the people who go and you know as I said you just have to visit one of the centres and uh, we have three excellent ones in Dundalk and you know see the service that they provide.
5: Okay but does it call into question how rehab is spending the money it receives uh, because uh, there's been ongoing controversy surrounding the rehab group?
11: Um, I think, you know, when you, when you look at it, I certainly look at some of the things and some of the services that they provide and wonder how they do do it. Um, you, know, you know, you've got to realise that these services provided to people, many of whom have very complex needs and who need, you know, a one to one or, a, you know, two to one or whatever, you know, ratio. And, uh, you know, I think that what they do with, with the money that they get is um, certainly very, very, very well well spent, and you just have to look at the people in the services to see, you know, how good it is, uh, how good it is, and how happy they mm. all are, um, and secure, and how part of a community that you know that they feel, because they really do. As I said, it's person centred; it caters for them and their uh, interests and you know their
5: mm. likes. Uh, and that some of the very high salaries uh, that uh, people uh, enjoy are merited, uh, given the funding shortage that there is.
11: No, I think that, you know that's something. Yes, that, that you know all it's, we we see it across the board in many mm. different things now, where we're looking at high salaries, and we've seen it down through with John of Gods, and we've seen it with all of that. And yes, I think that is something that needs to, you know, that they do need to look at and. Certainly, to look. But I think they, you know, they have made moves. Just reading, uh, reading it yesterday, and uh, on the note that that is something that it will be addressed. But I think that, that the important people in this uh, are the, are the, you know, the people who use the service yeah. themselves. Absolutely. And yeah. I think to, to, you know, hold this cloud and, and nearly, you know, hold this cloud over them and say, you know, we're going to do this or we're going to have to do this. Now they've given a year's notice, mm. and I really don't think that it's going to happen because the money that they would lose on that. Um, you know, the money that, that the HSE you know claim that you know that they can't afford, they will pay ten times that in terms of looking after people if the service were to close in terms of um emotionally, um educationally and, uh, you know, their physical and mental welfare
5: as well. It, it seems as well, as well, Mary, well. that a, a lot of uh, the costs are increasing uh, and uh, one of the reasons uh, for this is uh, that uh, we're all living longer as we were discussing earlier on and it's yes. no different uh, with uh, the people who avail of rehab services and as people get older, it's more expensive to provide service for them. Yes. There's a, a better service because of strict regulations which are put in place by HICWA and to meet those regulations, it. Cost more. Uh, But then there's uh, the ongoing problem that not just health service providers face, but it it seems uh, almost every service provider uh, in the country is uh, facing, and the massive cost of insurance is really crippling uh, the ability to provide services at the cost that they were available at.
11: Yeah, I think so. And I think that is one of the, you know, one of the big issues that was raised was the cost, cost of insurance. But, you know, you're dead right. I mean, the thing about it is, thankfully, you know, um, you know, people using the service are living longer and, you know, it's a fact of life. And you go down there and the service is uh, around, you know, caters for people from 18 to 60 and uh, caters for every single person that goes down there. And, you know, every year, um, you know, I have seen that since my own son started you know the service is growing and growing and his age group are you know there are more and more people coming um, to the service and joining in in the service so therefore of course uh, more money more money is needed but you know i do think that for the sum of you know two million euro that's been argued about as i said you know th- this shouldn't have come to this and it shouldn't be there and i would really hope that common sense will prevail because you know you've got to think as i said of you know, the people who use the service, the mm. families that are involved, the staff that are involved who give an invaluable um, service to, to everybody that goes there.
5: 1,500 staff. Uh, that's 1,500 yeah. jobs, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. your son is yeah. just one of 3,000 service exactly. users. In, yeah.
11: in this country, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you've got to look and, you know, as I said, you see what, what's the alternative? What happens? You know, it takes time for people to settle into these services. It's a, it's a huge jump. It's a huge transition for them and it takes time to, you know, to settle in. Then, uh, you know, as I said this morning, you know, your, your people are listening to radios and, you know, maybe don't understand what's going on and they think, you know, uh, it's going to close tomorrow and, and mm. you know, it's, it's pure scaremongering, you know, that I think that the HSA should have had this, this meeting should have been, and these talks that are go- ongoing now for the week should have been held months ago, months ago when it was first flagged by rehab.
5: Mm. Uh, and without it being front page news that it was going to close tomorrow as such, a, as you say, that's the impression people had. If rehab did close tomorrow, what would it mean for your son, for you as a family? Oh,
11: my God. Mm. It would absolutely, it would just devastate everybody. I mean, my family, every family that's that's involved in it because, you know, it's so good. And this is the the good thing about rehab is that it brings people into this, into society. It's a great socializer. It's great... Give them a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning in life you take that away from them and they have nothing and the families are left then i mean i you know i would dread to think that if you know everybody was left with nowhere to go in the morning i mean look at anybody that has you know no sense of purpose in life and um, you know it's devastating and as i said the cost and um, to um you know support people's physical mental uh, health would be you know catastrophic it would cost them At least 10 times more than, uh, you know, the the two million sum that they're
5: talking about. OK, well, uh, Rehab is uh, to meet uh, with the Minister again next week and I, I think uh, that it's hoped now at this stage that a, a solution will be found to, to bridging uh, that uh, two million euro shortfall uh, and let's hope that that is the case for all of the reasons you've outlined to so us. Nice to talk to you again and thank you for talking to us this morning. Great, so. thank you, Michael. Thank, thank you me. very much indeed. Former Senator Mary Moran brings our programme to its conclusion today as our time has run out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon if you'd like to listen back. Before we go, our thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Murray in the Control Tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next program tomorrow morning. That'll be at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye.
3: The Michael Reid Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.
4: LMFM Podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union, where you'll find the best car loan to get you on the move. Talk to one of our team today at Cartmacross Credit Union O'Neill Street or CartmacrossCU.ie.
9: Botox Cosmetic, Adabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.